Support for Pivot comes from BetterHelp. How do you know when your social battery is running on empty? Maybe you get a little snippy with your friends or perhaps Scott Galloway. Or maybe you just fantasize about canceling plans, creating one excuse after. You're fantasizing about me? No, 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 never. You're fantasizing about me. Again? Again? Not once. Not once. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. Get off my ad right now. All right. Canceling plans, creating one excuse after another, why you have to stay in. I do that to Scott all the time. It's not easy to keep track of how much socializing is right for you. Therapy can help you build more awareness of what you need and when. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy with licensed professionals. Scheduling is convenient and finding a therapist suited to your style is quick and easy. And we all know Scott Galloway needs therapy. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash pivot today. Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pivot. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. Oh, you're very slow today. You're low. A little slow. You weren't on Bill Maher this weekend, were you? Go on. Go <laughs> Is on. he having you back? He hasn't invited me. Uh, no, I didn't even get so much as a, hey, thanks, pal. I didn't no. get anything. Yeah, not a box of flowers. William, or, I thought yeah. he'd want to like grab Mexican food the next time he's in New York. I imagine yeah. we were going to become, become friends. Maybe he's just you holding needed back to a stick bit. with Ando. I'm sorry. Anderson Cooper really Ando. is your true one. What you know? we have, what Ando and I have is hard to, is hard to I would to like that to come, that. To, you bring Ando onto the show. That's why I want to see what you, you uh, would do. So you we know, can, like, uh, our friendship is so precious. Other. I don't like to lean on for these types of things. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of precious, Elon yeah. Musk is sparring with Bernie Sanders. Yeah, that's really precious. And the internet bros have never been at greater odds. In one corner, Bernie Sanders used Elon Musk's outsized wealth, along with Jeff Bezos and others, to highlight mm-hmm. wealth inequality in the U.S., which is pretty easy to do for Mr. Senator Sanders. On the other hand, Elon Musk said he's using his fortune for good, that he's going to bring it to move us to other planets. That's yeah. what he's spending his money. Honestly. Okay. And the bros went, nice First job, he's going to invest in edibles. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kara. What, what do, we, do you think? What do we think? I think it's ridiculous. Bernie Sanders is making a very good point. And like, and he like is like, no, my money will be used for good. He's like, what is he, Andrew Carnegie? And he's giving everybody a library. I don't know. Well, okay. I mean... <laughs> Okay, he's right. Mm-hmm. He's right. Uh, yeah. Elon Musk has added the GDP of Hungary. He's going to peace out and move to Texas so he doesn't have to pay state, in- state income taxes, which he's been an enormous beneficiary of. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't uh, – capitalism is just not about having someone worth $170 billion and paying mm-hmm. the lowest tax rate. But here's the problem. Uh, and the problem? I, I believe Senators Sanders and Warren. Senators Warren are inspiring, and I think they're right, and mm-hmm. I think they are totally ineffective. Yeah. Because here's the thing, Senator Sanders, is you jones for any camera or mic and make these indignant speeches about income inequality. You've been senator while we Democrats controlled all three houses, mm-hmm. and you weren't able to get minimum wage up beyond 725. Yeah. While you are right, 
that in the 60s, billionaires paid or the top 1% paid an average of 60% of taxes. And then the 80s went to 40%. Three or four years ago, it, it became common knowledge that billionaires now pay the lowest tax rate. And who was yeah. in the Senate? Senator Sanders and Warren. So I'm kind of, you're right. You're right. Well, and they have what, been going on for a while about it. This is They weren't in power to be able to do anything about it before, really. Okay. Uh, that, well, I don't know. The Republicans always seem to be in power to hold back change. Yeah. yeah. We controlled, while they were senators, we, were, we controlled all three houses. And they like these big, bold jonesing for the camera and the lights mm -hmm. ideas. Let's make college jonesing free. Jonesing is your new word today, jonesing. Let's ahead. make college free. That's yeah. not going to happen. And any sophomoric analysis mm -hmm. leads to a, a basic conclusion that the majority of people in college are middle or upper income. So that is nothing but a transfer of wealth yeah. from poor households that never apply to college to people in college. Let's cancel off student effective? debt. What would be effective then for Bernie Sanders well, to you know be able to call effective? attention? Because you call attention to this, this GDP of Hungary thing you say all the time, which well, I do too. Uh, eliminate capital gains tax deduction. Just eliminated. Right. Why is Elon Musk paying 22.8%, but a person working on the factory floor, Tesla, is paying 34%? Regular income, yeah. You know what's effective? Is Senator Michael Bennett, who is terrible at jonesing for the, for the camera. Jonesing again, yeah. <laughs> the J word. <laughs> but meanwhile, for the last five years, he has been behind the scenes pushing for in earned income tax credit for children. Mm -hmm. Saying for forty billion, not not four trillion, we can take forty to sixty percent of child poverty and eliminate it. Yeah, effective. And it all that hard work and good effective. legislation, yeah, is resulted in a bailout bill that is the least, or the bailout package, the most recent one, is the least bad of its kind because almost half of it is going to people versus just only fifty, sixty, or seventy percent going to fucking Delta or some restaurant mm -hmm. that we make a cartoon over. Yeah, he's effective. You know who's effective? Yeah. Senator Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, who's doing the work around antitrust. You know who's effective? Representative Cicilline, who spends less time well, jonesing for the fucking camera. of which, let me just switch to Representative Anyways. David Cicilline, who runs the House Judiciary Committee's antitrust panel, says he and fellow Democrats are preparing a bombard big tech with a series of small antitrust lawsuits That's through right. May, just attacks. so they don't have to do this big honking one. What do you think of this strategy? So, Perry Mason? Uh, what do you think of Perry Mason? <laughs> I, I think it makes a lot of sense. What they're trying to do is they're trying to atomize the defense. And mm -hmm. that is they're saying, okay, if we have one big effort yeah, and we let killed. this massive army known as the lobbyists, the PR spin machine, yeah. the billions of dollars, the legal, every every spare lawyer in America that will Jones up or line up, I'm sorry, I almost used Jones again, that will line up <laughs> behind going. Facebook, yeah. will line up behind the Facebook and Google and big tech yeah. army. They've decided it's going to be better to try and do an assault from the air, from the sea, and from the land. Oh, and we'll go after different small parts. Ones. What yeah, do you think? I, think? I think it's a great idea. Actually, I hadn't even thought about it. Yeah, because these things, like, the wheels go slowly. You know, it's like, eh, like they move very slowly. And this is kind of an interesting strategy. I like it. I like the strategy. I like, I, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm going to have to consult with some lawyers. But I do think that it makes sense to try to get things done more quickly and more strategically, just like you were talking about with Michael Bennett. Like, there's a lot of, like, big talk that never happens. That, but that's or, exactly the point, is Representative Cicilline and Senators Bennett and Klobuchar have decided, you know what? It's more important that we have a better America than I get my name in fucking lights all the yeah. time. Yeah. I'm reading her book. I read her book this weekend, Antitrust. It's very big. It's very thick. It's She's fantastic. Senator she is. Klobuchar I'm talking to her fantastic. this week. I'm talking to her after the hearings for Sway. I think it'll be really good. I think she's really- That's a shocker. She's a really- <laughs> That's a shocker. Someone I admire and constantly 
constantly build up and highlight her effectiveness. She wants and to talk for an hour about antitrust. Yeah. We're talking yeah, about her no, giant book that could great. kill a poodle. Oh, but we're bringing your brother on. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get him. Who do you want? Who do you want? Who do you want? Yeah, do you want? get such sloppy seconds No, you do not get sloppy. Are you kidding? This show is killing it. I will find you a good name. You were supposed to bring on Ando. I bring on everybody. You could bring I will on. bring on. I will bring on Ando. I okay. just... We're spending so much time together recently uh, that we're a little I bit know, sick of each other. It's springtime. It's summer. I. You're getting none. ready for your summer. <laughs> we off have spent no. By the, the way, I just feel like I need to disclose this. <laughs> we have absolutely no relationship outside of CNN. None. None. I'm going to get Ando to come on. I'm going to like pummel him on the Twitter and say, uh, Scott says you're his friend and you're jonesing to come on to the show. Um, I'm intimidated by him. I don't think I, I could handle that. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm getting him to come on. He'll be fun. He'll do his little cute laugh. It'll be great. It'll be fantastic. Listen. I want to talk to you about Florida, though. Florida man, oh, Miami. God. What the hell is going? What is wrong with Florida? Like they're facing new emergency lockdowns to help stop the spread of COVID nineteen. As flocks head to Miami Beach for spring, like what in the living hell was going on down there? I'd never seen anything like it. And well, I thought last a, year was bad. It's just a shocker. We have it in a state where people eat each other's faces. Old people yeah. bump into each other in their overly long cars from the '60s. We have alligators being eaten by African pythons released by pet owners that seem okay. to only. Like, all I want to know about is Miami Beach. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I read Edna Buchanan's book, "The Corpse Had a Familiar Face." I am aware of the situation in Florida, but what? What? Where are the police? Where? What happened? They had like to like. Like gas these people. They had like little pepper bombs or whatever. Look, what uh, you know, people. There's so much pent up energy. Yeah, they feel like Florida. Look, words matter and actions matter. Mm-hmm. And I do think that a lot of the horrendous things that have happened in the news recently are a function of that. When our leaders don't take more resolute stands against mm-hmm. ter- certain types of behavior or crime, it, it leads to bad places. And this is a smaller example of that. And that is. When Governor DeSantis wasn't aggressive about closing the beaches last year, yeah, he wasn't. When we've adopted this attitude of, well, you know, we're going to let we're going to sort of over, but it's not. But go it's ahead. sort of over, but it's not. And oh, look at us! Where's our apology? We Florida's definitely taken sort of a Trumpian stand on COVID, mm-hmm. yeah. and to their credit, some of the data supports what they're what what they've been what what they've been evangelizing but where it leads to is it leads to this notion that come to Florida where there's no covid and behave irresponsibly. Yeah. So we kind of invited this. Our leadership invited this yeah. and then you end up with mayors overwhelmed. They can't control yeah, DeSantis the mob. is popular, I believe. DeSantis, DeSantis is popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is popular in uh in Florida. We'll that? see. We'll He's see. Really Governors can fall from grace really fast. Yes, I noticed that with the Cuomo. Yeah. Um, and the Newsom, they can. They can go up and down. But I, look, yeah. it's just, uh, I, I find it really discouraging and upsetting because there's still a lot of people who are very vulnerable. Yeah. We're, we're seeing 5% infection rates. Uh, uh, which yeah, they're are, up is, again. They're, they're up, up again. again. I don't know. Did, I, we are in the what do you think? I, I don't have a lot to say I don't, about I don't this. even know what to say. If, if my child was there, I'd be furious at him. That's all. I, you know, I was just thinking, where are the parents here, like, with these kids partying? Like, I guess, like, uh, the parents are like, what the hell? I'm so sick of this. It is sort of, but they did it last year. If they hadn't done it last year when things were bad, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what to say. The pictures are really bad. But, you know, we'll see what happens, I guess, maybe. Yeah. You know, it's YOLO. It's YOLO is what's happened, like YOLO times 50. Um, I don't think there's anything we can do at this point. I think everyone sort of had it with COVID. Done. Next. Yeah, people are reaching. There's just no doubt about it. People are yep. reaching the limits, which makes yep. it even more important that everyone get a get a job. Yep. 100%. Okay. On to big stories. Though. There's so many stories around, Scott, but this is a, a big story. This is a big story. 
Uh, Dispo, the once promising photo sharing app, it still is promising, it was quite high on the Apple App Store, is facing challenges after its founder, uh, David Dobrik, faced allegations of sexual assault. It's actually allegations in the group uh, that he's- that, He wasn't around. accused of it, it was someone no, in the No, David right? gained popularity on Vine and then on YouTube has been facing allegations, the group uh, around right. him. Um, I forget what the name of the group is, but it's a little group around him that does like things. They do, they mm-hmm. you know, they do sort of stunts and things like that, facing lots of different allegations, races. Mm-hmm. Now he's, there's new racist stuff, anti-Asian stuff. They're just, they're just surfacing all the sort of antics that he did, which are all mm-hmm. juvenile and some of which are racist, some of which are, a lot of which are sexist. And then of course, behaviors by his, his gang around him. I think it's called the Vlog Gang or something like that. He started mm-hmm. a photo sharing app also called Dispo, which had gained a lot of traction, but following these investigations of his of of, uh, of, the, of these sexual assaults and other issues, the app's rating uh, dropped below two stars on Apple's App Store. The venture capital firm Spark Capital, which led its uh, the startup's twenty million dollars Series A financing in February, announced it would sever all ties with Dispo, which means it's pretty bad. Um, mm-hmm. And then Dobrik said, since said he's maybe stepping back from the company. Wow, this is a fast one. This is kind of a cool app. I actually have to say, he hmm. is sort of a, a funny character and and super popular and it's sort of in that there's a whole gang of those YouTube people um that have had problems and he's the latest. Yeah. So I I've come to my, my view is that media interprets things based 49% of it is the content of what you say and 51% is who says it. So you go first. Well, okay. I, it's really interesting because it comes at the same time, you know, there's this controversy around Teen Vogue and some racist mm-hmm. tweets that, and homophobic tweets that Alexi McComand, I think some friends, she was yeah. made editor of Teen Vogue and then they unmade her before she started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some, I, you know, in that case, actually Elizabeth Spears wrote, I think the best piece about it. I, you know, you immediately have to veer into this stupid cancel culture thing when in fact, in this case, it's out accountability. It, mm-hmm. In the case of uh, of of, De, uh, of of Dobrik. I mean, he just decided to be an asshole. It's sort of like the other guy on YouTube that was standing in front of all those dead bodies. And once again, I'm blanking on his name. Um, and another YouTube star. But uh, but you know, he did a lot of these things. And then there's there is controversy around Dispo too that he took the idea from someone. There was someone alleging that. Um, uh, probably Spark Capital's like I don't know. Although it was gaining. It's a really interesting app where you take pictures and then they show up the next day in these disposable camera look uh, and teens really liked it. It's quite a creative yeah. uh, photo a app. But, you know, you, you have to decide what's accountability and what's unfair. In the case of Alexi McCommon, it's very complicated. I think it's Anna Winter is at fault for hiring her as mm-hmm. someone who wasn't uh, particularly, she didn't have any experience running a magazine, but she sort of has the buzz uh, as a political reporter covering the Trump White House and this and that. She also got pulled into another scandal over at the White House, which I won't go into. But um, I think they just used the opportunity in this case to to deal with it because Condé Nast is under such pressure around diversity mm-hmm. issues, justifiably, um, and has had, you know, from the Kamala Harris thing to previous people, uh, books that have been written about it, about the, the company, um, including someone who was with her, him for her for a really t- long time, Anna Winter, calling her a colonial dame, which was not very nice, but that's what he said. Um, and so it's, you know, it's hard to, to take apart what's accountability. Before you just used to get into trouble and then you'd leave. Now you, you call cancel culture out. And at the same time, what David Dobrik was doing was pretty icky. And I can't believe people invested in him in the first place. But, you know, they were looking for money. What do you think? 
I think the two are totally different. They both have lessons. And one's mm-hmm. a lesson for young people, and another, I think, is a cautionary tale for mm-hmm. all of us, and especially for parents. With respect to Dispo, uh, look, and there's a lesson here. There's wonderful things about being an innovator and being yep. young and understanding technology. You get unfair or unwarranted idolatry. Mm-hmm. Uh, people think you're cooler than you are. You have the opportunity to make tens of millions of dollars by the time you're you know, 25 or 30. Right. But boss, nothing's for free. And one of the things you have to pay or one of the things you have to do is that you cannot in any way have your corporation or yourself personally, when you reach a certain level of seniority in an organization, Mm -hmm. put yourself in a position to have credible accusations levied against you of this sort. And through due process, we'll find out uh, hopefully what happened here and if there was a crime here, if it was just terribly poor judgment. But you don't, if you want to be if you want to be a player in our capitalist society and and grab its and, and and appreciate its fruits and its incredible spoils for innovators, mm-hmm. you can't put yourself in a stupid fucking position like this. You yep. you don't let this shit happen. You don't you don't let three people in any way associated with your firm go yep. into a room to have sex when they're drunk. You yeah, just, this is called the vlog squad, just so people don't know. Setting he's, he's 24 years old. He's 24 years old. Yeah, I but mean, if a 24-year-old can is old enough to make yep. millions of dollars or yep. raise 20 million, then he yep. needs to be old enough to go. I'm not giving him the age excuse. I'm just saying he what happened is this ha- these allegations happened and then everyone's sort of reassessing his previous well, work. And this and this is where it goes. And these stunts now, that he did. The, the media mob takes it. Mm-hmm. And by the way, there was another instant, incident. One of their posse mm-hmm. was pranked. They dressed right. up a guy as a woman. They convince him to kiss her, and then post yeah. he, his embarrassment, he yeah. has categorized this as a sexual assault. So now yeah. the media is saying that Dispo and these individuals yeah. are associated with multiple plural sexual mm-hmm. assaults. Is that fair? Maybe, maybe not. But when you're right. the CEO of a company, when you're the principal of a company, nothing's for free. And if you want the opportunity to make tens of millions of dollars at a young age, it means, boss, you got to be clean as a fucking whistle. But who and you got to be a, the adult is? in the room. And I remember when I first started my company, my first from profit, we used to go to Mexico every year. Everyone would get ridiculously fucked up. And I've decided in today's age, I wouldn't do that. I just right. wouldn't want to posi- put the firm and people's economic livelihoods at risk. Mm-hmm. So this is just capitalism. And Spark is doing the right thing. They're like, look, we just can't be well, associated with this. Well, should they have checked it before? How much due diligence can you do? Like, And then talk about the Alexi McCormick thing. Like, what do you— Well, well that's, the, that's, that's the right question. Now, in terms of condonast, I think this is frightening. And mm-hmm. well, let's come up with a different word for cancel culture, because now cancel culture is being thrown back in— our faces and say, no, it's just an excuse for people that don't want to be held accountable. When you are 17, (laughs) I mean, uh, everyone who hasn't done something stupid or said something stupid and offensive at the age of 17, raise your hand, all right? And way to go uh, for you. But the majority of us have, but we didn't live in an era where there was a hot mic following us around our entire lives. And the notion that we are now the woke mob I don't know. I, to a certain extent, Conan Ass was put in a terrible position because actually, I think the thing that caused it was Anna Winter initially supported her, but then the advertisers started withdrawing yeah. from Teen Vogue. And at what point? Okay, just keep in mind, folks. And there's a, there's an entire generation of people, and I've, I've been trying to more cognizant my behavior that online have decided they have a certain standard of purity. Which, by the way, they have no intention of hope, uh, upholding personally. Yep, yep, yep. And okay, just be clear: this mentality, this lack of forgiveness. 
is coming for your children. And guess what? If she had committed manslaughter and gone to jail for two or three years and then been released from prison and gone on to be a reporter for Axios and gone on to become appointed for Teen Vote, the woke mob would have found that an inspiring story of renewal. Oh, the statute of limitations. Mob. This is Condé Nast. I'm going to put it right on Condé. But Nast it was the woke mob that came after oh, the advertisers. They, would do, they didn't care about they 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 care. This happens a million times with advertisers. This is the Condé. Let's put the blame where it belongs, which is on Condé Nast management and directly on Anna Winter. I'm sorry, that's where it is. She hired her and then you know got spooked and decided not to do it by these advertiser things. That's where it is. And this advertiser pressure happens all the time. This is not a new and fresh thing for different. people. People. Okay, so Con- just, I think Condé Nast should have said, "I think, I they, think they should have stuck with They should have stuck with her. Yeah, but he, here's there's a bigger point here, though, mm-hmm. and that is, uh, we can't continue to. We shouldn't try children as adults. That is that is a completely fair thing. That is and, that I don't and, think that had anything to do with it. I thought that they decided they made a mistake in hiring someone without well, any actual in New York, experience. If you commit manslaughter. And yep. they can't find enough evidence against you. There's a statute of limitations for five years, but racist tweets have a don't have a statute I, of limitations. Well, I, you know, of course, then people that insulted her, they found they did tweets that were problematic too. The people that were sort of putting it on. I'm still going to place it directly on Condé Nast and Anna Winter. Either stick with her. Or, 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 you know, they could care less about the staff and what they think. They care about the advertisers, and then they can't take another. Well, they right. have, they have previously had so many racially based incidents, that, like problems there, yeah. that that's what they're throwing this woman under the bus for their own problems. That's my feeling. But, and so, okay, that's but you're I talking about. Point. You're going very. I get it. You're going very tactical. The situation. This represents a a, a a more serious disease in our society, and it is out of control when we decide to take notes and go back and start fucking up people's lives and livelihoods because of stupid things they did at the age of 17. That is, I think, true. But in this case, I think there's a whole lot more going on here than that. And I think it's Condé Nast. Condé Nast has has suffered from things they deservedly have been criticized for, and they don't want to take another one, so they're going to toss this woman out the door before she got there. That's I think that's where it begins and ends. Anna Winter can't make one more mistake, so instead of stepping aside herself, she pulls someone else down. We're going to disagree. Well, come on. She wasn't going to step aside. No, but she She said so many. Look at look. She had the Kamala Harris cover before that. Like there were dozens of issues. The Kamala Harris cover. I wouldn't describe. I know that, but I'm saying it just was like that was the most recent one. There were like dozens and dozens of things at Condé Nast. This isn't a Condé Nast problem. It's a societal problem. I don't think so. I think Condé Nast is like just they had misbehaved before, and they're this woman's paying for it. But I don't think they care anything about what their staff thinks. I really don't. I don't think they they don't right. seem to have done that in general, and they throw their staff under the bus all the time. And that's what they did here. Let me just say the person who had the problem before uh, David Dobrik is Logan Paul, um, who remember he took the video in the um, Japanese uh, uh, suicide forest, and then YouTube dealt dealt with him. Anyway, this is not a new thing. That that behavior you absolutely should be thrown off for. And then David Dobrik, absolutely. I feel like that's perfectly fine. Anyway, Scott, we're going to go on a quick break. We'll yep. be back to talk about Trump's new social media platform and a friend of Pivot on NFTs. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. 
Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, we're back. And so is former President Donald Trump. Apparently, he'll be returning to social media, this time with his own social network. This weekend, longtime Trump advisor Jason Miller told Fox News that Trump will be, quote, returning to social media probably in the next two to three months on his own platform that will attract, apparently, tens of millions of new users and, quote, completely redefine the game. Reminder, Trump was permanently banned from Twitter after inciting riots at the Capitol in January. Scott, what do you, and he might be, might or might not be off of Facebook. That's going to be 2B, TBD. What do you think, Scott? Look, I, I think greatness is in the agency of others, and and Donald Trump built a brand. Sort of the greatness is in the agency of PR and self promotion, and then mm-hmm. calling on our kind of worst instincts. I think, mm-hmm. and the reputation uh, that Donald Trump and the Trump organization has always had is that they're terrible operators. Yep. That yep. Th- where they make money is by taking their brand and get making it famous, wh- whatever it's famous for, and then licensing it. But they're not. Yep. And like building technology, unless somebody, if he were to say, I've partnered with Peter the guys Thiel. who ran, yep. I don't know, uh, Friendster, or I've mm-hmm. got a team of 200 engineers lined up, then maybe. But this stuff, this stuff is difficult. He's not an operator. No, Anyways, I'm, I'm, I would not go along this. What do you think? I think it's ridiculous. I think I think beyond that, if they can't do it, you can't do it is my number one thing is that he won't do it. He, it's like Trump stakes would be an easier lift for this guy. Right. Um, and that failed and Trump water, the, all of them. They're just, he's yeah. like trying to put his name on these things. And also social networks really are network effects. And that means yep. everybody's there. And the reason he was popular on Twitter is because not just his fans were there, but all the politicians, all the media, all the detractors, all the yeah. bots. The and you need like all them. of it. They you were just need- as important. Yeah, they, he's no one's gonna. I'm not joining the Trump network just to listen to him. I didn't join Parler, right? I, I mean, I know what's on it. So I, 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 he would be better off like helping revive Parler again or something like that. Maybe he no, is. Maybe that's my part guess of, is he ends up on Clubhouse. Yeah, that's where you should go, don't you think? Just yeah, go to Clubhouse 100%. and take it over. Take over a section 100%. of it. Take over take over one that he hasn't shit all over and and stay there until he shits all over it and they kick him off. Really, I think that's that's what he should do. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? I think this is destined, destined for failure. Destined. It just doesn't have everybody. Everyone's not at the party, and these social networks needs every need everybody at the party. And then other thing is, you know, everyone was talking about Twitter, and I'd love your comment on this going down after Trump left. Well, it's up twenty bucks since he left office. Twenty five bucks down. Yeah, remember well, they everyone said, "Oh, he's not going to be on it. It's going to hurt Trump's." I mean, uh, Twitter's yeah, business. Yeah, if, if management and the board had more of a backbone and their words, their words foot to, um you know, their actions, and they actually gave a good goddamn about the Commonwealth. There's a movement to purity here. Their immunities are kicking in. There's a citizen effect taking place, and that is Snap Mm -hmm. and Pinterest have been more vigilant about trying to keep their Mm -hmm. platforms less toxic, and guess what? They have have appreciated faster over the last 18 months. That's right. Twitter's moving. Twitter's moved to purity here. Mm -hmm. It has resulted in a massive accretion in shareholder value, plus some threatening subscription also. 
there's there's some very hopeful things here. The companies are being rewarded public. And again, I'm an investor. Public is the immunity to Robinhood. And guess what? It went from $100 million in valuation to $1.2 billion. There is a citizen accretive effect here that is very healthy. And there's you can do... You can do well by doing good. And yep. uh, Twitter's just starting yeah. to figure out that being, again, a handmade to sedition was not a good business strategy. And neither is anything Donald Trump does that requires execution. And this requires a lot of execution. It's all Agreed. a lot of, so much bullshit. And they won't. And by the way, you don't see them leaving Twitter either. So they stay. That's where politicians are. Okay, next up, friend of Pivot. Here to clarify all things cryptocurrency and NFT, we have Scott's colleague, chairman of the Department of Finance at NYU Stern, David Yermak. David, thank you for, or Professor Yermak, thank you for coming. Um, thank you so, for the invitation. No problem. So can you just give us an explanation? I've written about it recently and I had uh, Beeple on today on my podcast, but give us a blanket explanation of how these this NFTs work. An NFT is a collectible. And... They reside on a blockchain, which means that they can't be replicated. And if you own one, you own the only one. Mm -hmm. And so the market for NFTs resembles the market for comic books, baseball cards, rare coins and stamps, um, all sorts of other things where the intrinsic value of the object is really not so high. But the fact that you have the only one or one of a very small set is what confers the bragging rights and the prestige. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the scarcity is assured by cryptography, which arguably is something that would defeat counterfeiting and other ways of forging and replicating these assets. There's markets for art where sometimes you see forgeries of Rembrandts and so forth. With NFTs, those kinds of concerns are go by the books because or by the board because you don't have to worry about people replicating. The blockchain gives a degree of uniqueness and security that no other registry system ever has in history. Right. So why are we suddenly hearing about them? And, and, and are they a fad? Because I think everybody's super, I, I was like, don't worry, it'll, it'll sort itself out. It's just a way to do transactions, essentially. But talk about why you're suddenly hearing about them. And if you think they will go away, I don't, but go ahead. No, I don't think they'll go away either. And we have had booms and busts in the collectibles markets. You may remember the, the big bubble in comic books around the mm -hmm. year 2000 and so forth. But there have been markets in fine art for hundreds and hundreds of years. And there's a whole network of auction houses and galleries and appraisers that feed that market. And one of the enduring questions about why is a Rembrandt so valuable is it because it's so exquisite to look at that people mm -hmm. get so much pleasure? Or is it simply the the bragging rights, the prestige of being rich enough to be able to afford one? And I think NFTs answer that question very much on the side of the second argument that you can brag that you have the only copy of Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Mm -hmm. And if it's authenticated by a blockchain, even though other people could replicate and look at the exact copy. So anyone could copy Beeple's file and have a you know, mm -hmm. perfect rendering of it, but there's only one first edition. And, you know, collecting is partly about pleasure and partly about money laundering and wealth storage and so forth, but it's really about showing off and bragging. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's dragging, that's what's driving the NFT market. And these are rather timeless human emotions that I think will always be with us. Mm -hmm. 
Scott? David, um, does the original, does the person who owns the asset or owns the IP, does that ownership transfer uh, or have power in this new medium if it, or, uh, or does it make sense to just raise $100 million and start creating NFTs of every valuable piece of IP ever and claim that you own it? We don't know the answer to that yet. And you're seeing people rushing supply onto the market. You know, just today, Time Magazine created three new covers that they were going to auction off in NFT form. Mm -hmm. And they did this simultaneously with the publication of a series of articles about NFTs. Now, will anyone bid for these? I'm not sure. I think um, in any kind of fad where asset pricing's rising quickly, whether it's on Wall Street or a market like this, you will see more supply emerge to the point that the market becomes flooded and probably drops. That's right. But my, my question I, is, I'm sorry to interrupt you. My question is, what if Time put out NFTs for covers of National Geographic? Yeah, could National Geographic I think say, National Geographic could sue them because they have mm -hmm. a copyright. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you do have property rights for people who... Um, could be held accountable in court who infringe on them. You yeah. have interesting questions of jurisdiction, like in what court would you bring such a case mm -hmm. and under exactly what statute? But I think many of the laws or, or many of the laws that have been around for a long time that apply to ownership rights of intellectual property would transfer very easily to NFTs. Right. Would they make them more ironclad, these copyright laws? I would think so if you could transparently see who owns it and it's a very clear ownership path. Yeah, certainly the, the proof that you can offer in court may be a lot simpler on a blockchain because you can show an uninterrupted chain of custody and so forth. There have been real disputes about who owns a certain painting mm -hmm. or who owns the royalties to a piece of music that has been sold and resold through many hands. Often it's very difficult to tell, but the promise of a blockchain is to fix those rights very unambiguously that clarifies the ownership and the property rights for sharing of royalties and profits in a much better way. And then artists can continue to hold them, right? Because in some of these contracts, for example, with Beeple, he's going to be, if it sells again, he gets a portion of that. There's, there's, it, you can write that, you can write anything into these smart contracts. Yeah. In fact, it's a very popular proposal. And I think it's even mandatory in Europe mm -hmm. that an artist holds a residual royalty to resale. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit like having a call option on the value of your work right. that is perpetual. If the thing gets sold and resold at auction, there are 10% of the profits filtering back to you. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is an interesting contract. But on the other hand, if the artist is retaining that residual right, the work should sell for a lower price in the first instance that you mm -hmm. know you're only getting 90% of the upside and Beeple is keeping 10%, so you should only pay 90 cents on the dollar. And to the extent that Beeple may think the market's overheated, Beeple would be better off selling the whole 100% instead of holding that residual option. Right. But who knows? This, right. is, you don't know. this is what makes a market. And if artists want to retain 10% or, or even 50% residual, it's it's something the technology very right. easily look at, admits. Look at Jeff Koons. He should have held on. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people, they you know, go it's up. It's very easy to look backward and yeah. identify people who should have hung on to their work. You know, Caravaggio right. should never have sold his supply <laughs> until 400 years later. But if you look at all of the art that's correct, is being produced at a moment in time, 
most of it turns out to be worthless and has very little value in the yep. future. And the studies that tend to encourage these kinds of things don't take account of the very high failure rate. Right. And it can be very hard to tell in the moment that a canvas or a digital piece that you just produced really will be popular in 50 or 100 years. But certainly for the ones where that turns out, yeah, you wish you had retained more of the value for yourself. Yeah, 100%. So, so let's let's try and project what, what might happen here. When you think of traditional IP film media, they don't they don't pay to star in the movie, they pay to market it, right? And a voice felt art is the most successful artists are not only the best artists, uh, artisans, they're the best marketers. And this feels like it's literally 99.9% your marketing acumen versus 0.0001 intrinsic value, right? Other than the scarcity component you talked about. Aren't the natural players here, the ones that could really make bank, the social media platforms that could create their own marketplace and then promote and market the NFTs uh, that they own and just kind of just make crazy bank? I, I think that this is an interesting point. I'm not sure that they have the advantages and security that you get from the decentralized platforms. Mm -hmm. One of the things about the work of Beeple and many of the other popular NFTs is that they are on the Ethereum platform mm -hmm. where there's really no gatekeeper and nobody who can censor or take down or change the rules because it's a decentralized essentially a, a self-enforcing set of, of algorithms that governs this. If you put it on Google, you're working for Larry and Sergey, or you know Amazon, you're working for Jeff Bezos. And so I'm not sure that people in the end will trust the social media platforms to protect the integrity of the property rights the same way that you see on the decentralized blockchains. Mm -hmm. So you know the lack of a so-called trusted third party or a gatekeeper is part of the value proposition of the NFT. So what else could be made into NFTs? Like it's not just someone, I think someone I was talking to is saying you can put a house on it. You can put other things. It, does it have to be a collectible? Well, I think you're making a more general point about fractional ownership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, which is what happened to the Beeples. The guy bought them and now he's fractionalized the entire collection and he's selling coins. I think these B20 coins. Yeah. No, people have been talking for many years about applications like a young athlete who maybe is still in college mm -hmm. selling shares to their future contracts. You know, if you're an all-American football player about to enter the NFL draft, you could syndicate 15 years of future salaries and then, you know, share them out and get the money up front in a lump sum. Mm -hmm. um, you could invest, you know, in all kinds of types of human capital of new MBA students, maybe a portfolio of a hundred oh. MBAs coming out of the top business schools and get a, a stream of their royalties. Wow. Um, there's really no limit to this, but there are also interesting incentive effects that the, the athlete who pre-sells their contract right obviously has less incentive to train and perform. You know, they don't bear the risk. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with a musician who pre-sells the royalties. If Taylor Swift could sell forward yeah. future albums, you know, maybe they're not going to be as of high quality. They, right. The songs won't be as well written and so forth. So there's very interesting incentive effects that I think will figure in this market in the future. And some of them are probably good. Some are probably bad. We, we're at a very early stage yeah. and don't fully understand these yet. Yeah. It's funny you say that because... I don't think I would have ever written a book had someone not given me an advance and I felt like I had to. <laughs> um, the other question, or the, and you kind of leaned into this a bit, 
what if these are gold mines who's selling the picks in the denim tents who what technologies you mentioned ethereum but who makes money here what's the technology or the companies that benefit if there's a craze in nfts you know the people making money right now are the ones selling the mining hardware mm-hmm. you know we have a very clear analog that in the old days it was picks and shovels and pans Today, it's essentially specially designed computer chips and circuits that are programmed to mine cryptocurrency. Yep. And some of these companies are going public. So there are now crypto mining companies that are being listed on the stock exchange Mm because it's a a fast-growing revenue, very traditional business, really, just catering to the crypto markets. And there's all kinds of things like podcasts that are attracting viewers to listen to people talk about crypto and so forth you know the a whole industry is circling the the technology if you will and i think first and foremost the hardware providers but i'm teaching a university course and students are applying to go to nyu so that they can take this course we're all benefiting from second order effects of people who are interested in this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that of course you have to locate and it's a lot of the activities in china where they locate them next to energy grids and things like that which is somewhat really interesting how this is all playing out but what advice would you give for someone who's just looking on because when they see this nfts it sort of start i think it's sort of a consumer gateway into cryptocurrency what these nfts are in a lot of ways but what advice would you give for someone looking to invest in cryptocurrencies or nfts which i think nfts is probably an easier way for them to do so you know, or the timeless reason. advice is to diversify. <laughs> you know, okay. unless, unless you find some special skill that you can recognize digital art better than the next person, mm-hmm. if you really feel that this needs to be in your portfolio, I would spread your money around and look for an overall rate of return mm-hmm. and let the risks cancel themselves out rather than putting all your eggs in one basket. Is there um, one area like art versus the, 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 the tweets of Jack Dorsey versus the videos of sports stars and things like that? Very hard to say. Again, you know, diversifying some of these things like the Super Bowl highlights, it's mm-hmm. hard for me to see that anyone can really fix a claim on that. Yeah. Um, but we've had, you know, baseball cards. I remember trading them in my youth and I have a son now who is trading the the NFT equivalent of sports cards. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think um, I never put all of my allowance into baseball cards. And I wouldn't recommend that he puts all of his um, his weekly meal money at college into the NFTs, but maybe one or 2% and, you know, also own real estate and equities and bonds and everything else. But I think, you know, the market is small. It's a very volatile speculative market. And I think most of the returns that people get are likely to be by chance as opposed mm-hmm. to by skill. Yeah. And but it does give cryptocurrency a little workout in something in the ways that it hasn't beyond a speculative instrument, essentially. I don't know. The you know, the cryptos are growing very quickly and many of them are specially designed to solve certain problems. Mm-hmm. The um the main value of Ethereum seems to be connections to decentralized finance or yes. DeFi which essentially takes the insurance and risk management industries and makes it run by robots without many of the moral hazard problems. That This is actually something very socially useful, but it's a rather subtle contribution that people don't really think too much about when they buy Ether. Um, I think you know the, the blockchain is a platform that can host many of the markets that up until now have resided on very primitive types of ledgers. The, um, the double entry bookkeeping, 
We have a lecture by a colleague at NYU, Amy Whitaker, who comes in every term and looks at art gallery ledgers, which are literally recipe boxes filled with index cards where you know forgeries and missing cards and so forth have been huge problems that have led to litigation. And so mm -hmm. the contribution here is better record keeping. And this can add value to all kinds of markets yes. and human endeavors in medicine and the arts and you know and all kinds of things. And so I don't think it's really about speculation in the long run. It's about a very novel technology that has a lot of social utility. Yeah. Scott, last question. Do you, do you think that, David, when you look at it, it, it feels as if, okay, Bitcoin at $60,000, NFTs going for millions, it feels a lot of this is, is foam off the froth or froth off the foam of an economy that is just awash in cash. But there's also a notion that these technologies are decentralization, disruptive, and protecting us from or a way to kind of escape from the traditional norms, dangers of our central bank-driven economy, whatever you want to call it. Do you think these assets are correlated? And if and when we see a correction in the market, you'll just see a lot of the uh, air come out of the balloon here? Or do you think that they're actually inversely correlated? Do you mean the crypto assets, the, the bitcoins, it, it, the ether, it the feels NFTs? Like this, well, you tell me, but it feels like this whole genre or asset class somewhat trades together. And so far, it seems somewhat correlated to the larger economy. Bitcoin hit 5000 bucks when the, the market crashed last year. We all like to think it's not correlated, but it feels like everything's correlated right now. Do you think this larger space of crypto, NFTs, the, the hardware, do you think it, it it becomes is it inversely correlated or correlated to the general the, the general? No, I think it's probably positively correlated, but I can tell you there's a lot of high level research among asset pricing experts beginning to look at this, and we'll be able to answer that better in maybe a year or two. But it's it's obviously important that the person who paid sixty nine million for the Beeple they paid in ether, mm -hmm. they didn't mm -hmm. pay in real money. And this was a person with a lot of Ether tokens that they had come hmm. into possession of by whatever means. And a lot of the ownership of art through history has been done you know, because it's a store of value and it's a way to take a monetary instrument issued by a government and to transform it into something that is probably more permanent and enduring. And I think the person who bought the Beeple probably viewed it as less risky than a pile of Ether tokens. Yep. Um, but on the other hand, if Ethereum collapses, I think the auction prices for NFT are probably going to go south too, because a lot of the clientele for this are people with crypto profits that are looking to to park it somewhere a little bit safer. And then do interesting financial instruments with them, which is what they're trying to do, with it, at least in the case of Beeple. So I have a last question. If Pivot were to make an episode into an NFT, what would be your advice? Oh, have me as the guest. <laughs> <laughs> Sell for billions, I'm sure. Um, no, if you could get someone like you okay. know Jack Dorsey or Satoshi Nakamoto to be the guest and then turn it into an NFT. Oh, you know, nice! Probably the one. Get Vitalik, the creator of of Ethereum. Yeah, you know, there's all kind of crypto celebrities who might lend their name, you know, on an experimental basis to a, to a little test if you give them a 10% kickback of the royalty. I, I, Scott was just going to say how important you are, correct? Scott, go right ahead. Well, I'm just, I was going to say this off mic, uh, uh, Professor, but David is uh, 
chair of the finance department at NYU, which makes him the most powerful person at Stern. Because basically, Stern, let's be honest, David, is fin- the finance department and the seven dwarves. You guys roll your eyes every time the marketing yeah. department has anything to say. <laughs> David's the most powerful just, person at no NYU. No comment, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> He's rolling his eyes. So, no, my. Our dean would object to that, except he's also a finance. He's a finance. Yeah, where did he come from? The finance department. So let me just. But people, people get are getting very emotional about NFTs for some reason. I'm like, just don't don't do them. Then, what would you say to the average person with NFTs? Just it's fine. Just it's just another financial instrument. Just relax or or beware. It it would really depend on what else they own. You know, the, the the advice about what to do with an asset is always contingent on. Well, they don't own it at all. They just feel offended. 10 other NFTs they should probably sell. But if they have $100 million in equity and they just came into this, you know, see what happens. Yeah. Um, I have a 17-year-old daughter who's sitting downstairs right now, and she actually does digital art. She's Mm -hmm. been taking high school courses and Mm -hmm. so forth. And I told her to drop all the other classes, calculus and all the other, you know, chemistry. Just do the (laughs) digital art for the time being. That's well, good yeah. parenting. Good parenting. That's good parenting. Good yeah. parenting. You know, she's skeptical. And I said, I want you to Google Beeple and figure yeah. out what this Beeple is doing. Yeah. And then do, do the same thing. He's still making them. They're still- so far, she's still I'm working sorry. on her other courses. And this makes I'm sorry, Professor. Right. Diversify your financial, but not your human capital. But, uh, <laughs> come on. No, come I've on. got Diversify. four kids and only one is a digital artist. I say, I like there it. I go. like how he thinks. Anyway- That's your portfolio. Uh, David Yermak is the chairman of the Department of Finance at NYU Stern. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, David. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, Scott, that was fascinating. So, Kara, let me let yeah. me tell you something about Professor right. David Yermak. Okay, I do and, know his name. He's very famous. And he's one of the reasons, you know, I continue to want to, like, be a- affiliated with Stern and why mm-hmm. it's so rewarding. Mm-hmm. That guy could make tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars a year working for a credit fund. Mm-hmm. And what he chooses to do is to try and figure out, do research and and discover if there's a Michelle effect. And he tried to figure out the correlation between Michelle Obama's apparel and stock price movement. He then found what? the tail numbers of every jet, of oh. every CEO, and determined that when they left for holiday, they planned to leave for holiday after the earnings call. That means that there was about to be an earnings beat. This oh. guy is such oh, a that's genius. Right. That was famous. I remember that. This guy is such a genius and so creative, and he's decided... My role. I think he's a character to, on Billions. There's probably there's a character like that. My role ahead. is to communicate that genius and that creativity to a new generation of finance people. Yeah, he is. I, every time, every time I speak to David, I, I learn something and I think, okay, that's that's I that's like why an economic wonk. to be important. I like, don't, but don't insult marketing people. They're fine too. <laughs> we get literally no respect. <laughs> I know. I but, mean, all right. literally. Just so you know, speaking of NFTs, we need to take a quick break. But first, Jonathan Mann tweeted at us uh, that he used my catchphrase, fatuous popinjay, which I use liberally mm-hmm. among the people, um, mostly in the Trump administration, but many people are fatuous popinjays. Recently, it was Tucker Carlson. Um, he turned it into a song with the intention to sell it and as an NFT. He's been writing a song a day for 13 years. He sold the first 365 songs as NFT. NFTs. They sold out in 30 minutes. Let's play it. question is, can I bid on an NFT that'll make that shit go away? No, I think it's going to be a- 
brilliant. And it, I am, I am the muse. I am like Mona friggin' Lisa. That who is, that's who I am. Okay, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back yep. for wins and fails. Yep. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, Scott, wins and fails. We are our own fail, apparently. We've got a lot yeah. of feedback from listeners and how we missed the mark on our interview with Andrew We did Duttons. miss it there. We really did miss it there. We should have been tougher on him, on his company, Hims. I still think it's an interesting company, uh, w- w- what it's been doing, and it could pivot into something else. But here is our resident doctor, Jeff Swisher, my brother and your biggest fan, Scott Galloway. You have it's, a brother that's a I, doctor? Who I knew? Do. <laughs> Who knew? He likes attention himself um, to tell us where we got. I wonder it, where he got that. Where he got <laughs> I it wonder, wrong. Unlike his wilting, his wilting flower <laughs> sister. Listen, listen his, professor of marketing, look at me. All right, let's listen to hey, Jeff. You know Swisher. what? What, uh, what? That's not fair. I've become okay. much more self-actualized just this morning, Kara. Yeah. A bee landed on me, and I thought, <laughs> I'm not scared. <laughs> I'm, I take it as a compliment that it mistook me for a flower. Uh, that's what you are, a delicate flower. Much All right, let's listen to Dr. Jeff Swisher rip us a new one and then sew it back up because he's an excellent doctor. Go ahead, Jeff. That's an image. Hey, Karen, Scott. You guys know I love you both and I'm your biggest fan. But listen to me, as Kara says, as your actual big brother and Scott, as your virtual one, you guys needed to do better with such a huge, complex and promising topic as telehealth. This is such an important paradigm-shifting field that it's really important to get it right. Rather than a master of the universe, founder, CEO, personally, I would have invited somebody with a more global analytic view. Like, for instance, the extremely knowledgeable uh, beat journalist Chrissy Farr, or the CIO of Kaiser Permanente, who's been at this game for a really long time, and they have been able to integrate virtual with in-person visits really quite well. Telemedicine has so much promise. It'll be awesome for pre-op screening and evaluation, some routine medical care, follow-up care, health promotion and wellness, but it's got to be done safely and intelligently as well as ethically. And it's got to work with doctors and other health professionals and not commodify us. 
It should ideally be an adjunct to physician-patient in-person interaction and not a replacement for it. Mine are easily remedied problems with quick resolutions or the need for quick prescriptions, etc. It's such a small part of medicine. A lot of it is the experience and skill that a physician brings to the literal examining room table in an in-person interview and exam. There's so much more to say on this topic and so little time, but in general, you guys do great and I love listening to you. Thanks, be well, and maybe you guys can have me back as a, a guest on Pivot again and we can have a more substantive uh, conversation on the subject of telehealth because there's a lot to be said about it. There's my brother, well, he's I, right. I, I mean, I, I feel bad. I think we've been correctly shamed. I think we've he's been right. Shamed. I think he nailed it. And by the way, yeah. since we did that interview a week ago, mm -hmm. HIMSS is off 20% the stock. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's largely because of Jeff Swisher or Dr. Swisher, but because Amazon's announced they're getting in. But yes, he's absolutely right. Uh, uh, direct to consumer. ED drugs is not the same as offering. No, but I think advice. a lot. I think one thing he fails, and I think doctors fail in general, is the experience of, with your doctor is broken. Everybody who has, I'm talking about general stuff like. I think he gets that. I, think he I, gets I do that. think he gets that. And I don't think, but I don't think doctors do in general. They think the system is fine the way it is for patients. And I have to say, so much more innovation could go into this in health. It just doesn't. In, in much more complex stuff, too. Not just, Agreed. not just. I was thinking you know, about your brother last night. Were you? Um, I was thinking about. I think anesthesiology is yeah. is the the brightest pulse of it our is. species. For yeah. example, you got to know everything. Got to keep people alive. Well, if you think about it, our superpower as a species is cooperation that results in trust. We trust that people will pull over to the side of the road when they hear a mm -hmm. siren. We trust and we drop our kids off at school. They're not going to eat them. Our species, our superpower is cooperation that results in trust. And when you think about the ultimate example of our species superpower, it's deciding to let a skilled professional take care of you while you are uh, while you are unconscious and they mm -hmm. they will manage the nether netherland between consciousness and un unconsciousness while people mm -hmm. take pieces of you out of you yeah. and you trust that this person has your best interest at heart you may not even know their name but they're so skilled they're so worried about your yeah. welfare and we've created a system of capitalism and empathy and attracting nice smart people Yep. It really is kind of like it's the helm of the bobsled of what our, you makes are our species great. I would agree with you 100%. It's a most difficult job. And I really, I, when it's done well, it's so great. I, I had a procedure. Jeff's not allowed to practice upon me because I'm his sister. But man, the people he picks, they put me right out. And then I woke right up. It was fantastic. I have to mm -hmm. say, it's, and, I, and I didn't fear at all. And it's true. And you definitely can't do that online. You cannot give someone pro. What are your wins and fails, Kara? I think that was enough. I that feel was enough? that was enough. There's plenty to talk about this week. We will see the continued well, fail. I think Florida's failing in terms of that and winning as the vaccinations continue apace. I think I think that is a win. My fail is there needs to be a statute of limitations. We need to have we need to let kids screw up in a safe place and learn from it. And okay. their errors as children, we can't try them as adults. And what happened to Condon asked whether it's your point that Condon asked screwed up here, we just need to be mindful that there's a difference between actions at 17 and actions at 27. Um, this is true, but but I, I'm going to I'm going to. Oh, here we go. That. No, my go fails ahead. get my fails are unedited, Kara. I don't know if you got the memo from our all right, producer. All right, then my fail. Here's my fail. I'm going to have my okay. fail. Then my okay. fail is that we do not take into account consequences of our actions and and then try to act like we're a victim. When we do bad things, we should pay for them. Is she That's acting it. like she's a victim? Thank you. No, 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 not what her. I'm just saying. About? I'm not talking about this particular instance, but a lot of this cancel culture bullshit, like the Andrew Cuomo pulling it. Stop like pawing. Women 
women, sir. Stop conflating killing. totally different I issues. am conflating, but they people like dump it in the same thing, like fake news. People you dump mean, it into the same The two pot. are totally different. They are, but people don't do that. Cancel culture has become a thing like fake news has become a thing. And it's very, there is some fake news. It's just not all of it. And they tend to use it as a as a Okay, cudgel. holding people to a standard you do not want to hold your own children to. Let me just put it put it that way. No, I got that. I okay, got that. so a win. I like that. Uh, rather than the grandstanding, yeah. rather than the grandstanding of senators Sanders and Warren, there are senators and elected leaders just doing the hard work. Yeah. And so my wins are Representative Cicilline, Senators Bennett, nice. who's been pushing the earned income tax credit for children for years. And didn't get any credit for it when it got into the bill in a huge size. Do you realize that people under the age of uh, people, households with income less than fifty thousand dollars, are going to see their income increase twenty percent this year? That is a huge win for us, and it's overdue. Yeah. It is it is a form of UBI, which I'm not entirely sure I agree with, but I think it's a worthwhile experiment. We needed to level up this this group, and also Senator Klobuchar, who again, rather than posing for the cameras, is doing the hard work around antitrust. So those are my wins. Good government. Nice. You know who my win is. Go ahead. Dr. Jeffrey Swisher. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. All the Swishers. Swishers in general. Thank there you go. <laughs> there you, there go. you go. Okay, Scott. That's the show. It's a little testy today. I like it. I like a little testy. Spicy. Listener. A little spicy. spicy. A little testy. A little spicy. Anyway, a little salt we'll, around the room of that pivot we'll, margarita. We'll be back mm. Friday for more as soon as we sign up for Trump's social network. And then we'll be back. And it's like Go a shot of tequila. You don't really feel it until you walk away from the table. That so in about 30 true. minutes, you're going to think, I wish I'd been nicer to the dog. That's true, I, I do. Someone just sent me a new bottle of tequila, so I will do that. I will drink before every show. Anyway, That's go, what to, I do. go to <laughs> nymag.com slash pivot to submit your question for a Pivot podcast. The link is also in our show notes. Scott, read us out. Today's show was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Ernie Entretot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Hannah Rosen and Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android user. Check us out on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Box Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. The wonderful thing about our society and our species is that incredibly impressive people opt for teaching, not money. Thank you, Professor David Yermak. And can be trusted, can be trusted when we are totally helpless. Thank you, Dr. Swisher.